Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and it is, uh, it's still, it's still May. Right? Still May, yeah. Oh, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. Happy Memorial Day weekend, Americans. We're I forgot that Memorial America. Day was a thing. Yeah. I had other stuff on my mind, I guess. You, you didn't remember Memorial Day? I didn't. I'm sorry. Because my kids I mean, don't, just, there's no school. So there's, there's was, no like was, days off to monitor. It was it was a it was a bad wordplay. It was I got it I got it I just decided not to acknowledge it. Um, yeah, it's bad. What is this? how how's how's the week been for you? Tom? It's good. We just finished our second viewing of Scoob in three oh days. My God. Well, because you get you you rented it for forty eight hours, so we got in just I, under the window to get two viewings out of the twenty bucks. This past weekend, I finished my eleventh viewing of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. They're comparable films. Uh, guys, I don't know if you know this. For the people that really care about the uh, the the big event that is still going to happen from the William Howard Taft Memorial Auditorium, I think I think there might be spoilers this year. Have this year for for me when it comes to yeah, it's funny. Almost I, every award. I've you know I've got a couple of things lined up, but I mean, my best I, actor, my best actor is wide open. <laughs> best adapted screenplay, wide open. It just, I mean, we, I don't think I've seen a lot of stuff. I've seen a few things. Most mo- of it's we've okay. Seen mo- most of the stuff that have come out this year to a wide audience. Yeah, it's because of but the I fact mean, that we don't have a lot of choices. It's fine. I mean, some of the stuff is fine. There's like a list of things that I want to catch up on. There's some virtual screenings that I'd kind of like to get to in the next couple of weeks. Um, like but Deerskin. Deerskin. Um, there's a couple of other things that I can't think of because they're just like not. They're not wide release things. They're like things you got to hunt down and search for. And they're, I and, forget what they are right now, but um, and yeah. next month things are really kind of like starting to take off too. Well, I mean, and so they, you know, I'm assuming you saw the Greyhound. Apple has acquired Greyhound oh and is God. now coming out that. in August. I think they think, or like yeah, late July, spent, 70 spent like July. Yeah. They spent $70 million on that. Yeah. Um, Actually, which leads, in, which leads into another good, uh, good point. Another surprising piece of news is um, Warner Brothers spending $20 million in post-production to release the four-hour or possibly multi-episodic cut of Zack Snyder's Justice League in 2021. Armand White must be just thrilled. Oh, he's coming. He's coming all (laughs) over his face. Um, I didn't. I don't understand what anyone sees in any movie by Zack Snyder, so um, it's lost on me. I I don't get it. And now they're arguing release the air cut of Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad has its, its problems are not like the d- final cut of a, no. a specific director. It's no, that it no, exists at all. It is the inherent aspects of Suicide Squad. But the Greyhound thing is surprising to me because um, no nobody's nobody's going to order Apple Plus for Greyhound. No, I mean if there's a free trial, I might. Sign up for a free trial, watch it, and then cancel it. I'm gonna be honest. Nope, I'm good. But if I got nothing better to do, why not? I mean, I'm gonna. I am more intrigued to get. H, I'm gonna get HBO Max anyway, but I'm more intrigued to get HBO Max because of American Pickle, mm. the Seth Rogen comedy. Yeah, you told than me about I am that. To get Greyhound. Well, Greyhound. I don't. Care, like, I don't have, care about Greyhound. Greyhound and, I just think it's interesting that they've. They just want to make twenty million dollars. Well, it's also like that's all they care about. What's what's Apple doing? Like the movies they're picking are weird. They 
picked uh what was the other movie they picked um i don't recently. remember you know what i'm talking about though yeah they um, picked they had a couple of big things um but i don't remember what they are now but they yeah but yeah they they just but their their choices have been just bizarre like you look at netflix like netflix is buying up a lot of stuff netflix uh recently announced like just this week that they're getting wasp network um the kind of middling all over uh, assayus film from last year's festival circuit and they're just kind of dumping it on there they're getting uh the new this this week uh lovebirds from um the what's what's his name camille nanjiani uh yeah the new movie from him and from the director uh, michael showalter uh the director of Big Sick mm-hmm. is coming out. It's like they're picking up stuff that kind of makes sense to fill in the gaps. But Apple TV is just picking some weird move. That what like I really want to remember what that movie was that they picked. Um, well, here's what I would say though: is that Apple TV, and I can talk while you look it up if you want to. I think what's the ha- banker, the banker, oh, uh, the Samuel L. Jackson, Anthony Mackie movie, yeah, Anthony Mackie movie, yeah. That, that was the one I was thinking of. Like, well, the weird thing about it is that they're. I don't think they're. I don't think this Greyhound thing is an Apple instigated thing. I think the studio was looking for a place to dump this movie and Apple yeah, won the was... bidding. And so they're going to dump it. And I think what this is going to signal. And I, again, I can't be, I can't get too excited about this because I really don't give a shit. Um, what this is going to signal is that you're either going to have a lot of movies coming out in 2021 or they're just going to start dumping, man. They just, they don't, they're, what, not gonna, they're not going to have any choice. This was a Columbia film, right? Yeah. So. They're they're These studios like green Knight is coming out. I appreciate everything that Kelly Riker does, uh, in life, but first cow has got to come out. Uh, oh no, they're, for, they're holding, they're holding first cow, but doesn't make any sense. I think a 24 is dedicated to first cow. But what the hell is the point of that? Because if you get to release it in November, guess what you're releasing it against? Everything that was supposed to come out in the summer. Who's going to see First Cow in theaters? The theaters well, think, that were going to show First Cow aren't even going to exist in November. I think I think A24 is convinced that's an Oscar movie. No. I think I think at this point Top Gun is an Oscar movie. I don't think there is well, an there's like no such now, thing as an Oscar fair, movie anymore. The Academy is now talking about postponing the Oscars. Well, they should, I mean and that's kind of weak sauce on their point part, you know what I mean? Like I mean, but he also can't like can you really postpone the eligibility? Here, you can't, right? You, gotta you can't, but I think what they're afraid of is that they're going to have a whole bunch of Netflix movies. They're going to have just nine Netflix movies, you know, up there Am- for Best Picture. Amazon, Amazon Prime still gets the big goose egg. <laughs> yeah, they're not doing anything. Oh, is that a is that a is that a fuzzy? Oh, you did it too. Nice. Yeah, I got I got four six packs that gave away three of them. Well, hey, I got three and I, I gave paid. away I got three and I gave away two of them. Oh, look at us. We're, we're such socialists. We are. Such... I mean, I I actually got paid for them, but no, I, I gave one I, to I, a I new. Test. I gave a pack to a new dad. I'm gonna give a pack to my cousin for borrowing a, borrowing a oh. sander. Well, you're a better man than I. That's true. Um, and sad news, by the way, uh, Lynn Shelton passed. It's pretty the, the tough news. That shit blew my mind, man. Blew yeah. my mind, and I, I think it's because I'm a Marin guy. So I was listening to WTF, and he just on the Cape Blanchett. Did you listen? Did you listen to the? Um... No, I can't listen to that. I yeah, I want to. Tough. I feel like I should, but I I'm not gonna make. I don't. I barely it's, make it's, it through it's, some it's of his really, regular episodes. It's a really beautiful like honor tour, but it's it's tough. Yeah. Um. 
I was listening to the Kate Blanchett episode where he was talking about the fact that she didn't feel good, and they took her to the hospital to get te- they took her to get tested for COVID, and she didn't have it, but she had all the symptoms, and they were just kind of like waiting to see what happened, and like, can you be negative? And they were just like all yeah, uncertain. they thought it was like strep throat, I guess. And then she's, and then like a week later, she's dead. And I just, I feel um, terrible for him. Um, like I just hope this works out. For but it's him. also just like from a, a directing standpoint. I, I still haven't seen like sort of trust, but you had very positive things to say about. Story. Well, I just think she was. Um, um, I think she was very unique, and I think that's what a lot of people are writing, and not enough people, unfortunately. I actually, but I, I think... forgot. I forgot she directed my, my sister's sister, which mm-hmm. is a movie I actually really kind of enjoyed. Strangely, yeah, because I was like, I was on a big. I, I don't know if we ever talked about this on a podcast where I went through like a huge Mark Duplass mumble um, core. I feel like I we mean, haven't talked about it on talked a podcast. This, yeah, we've talked about it in real life. But like, Mumblecore was always... Uh, Hump Day, I, I never liked Hump Day, really, mm-hmm. to be honest. Like, it just... I think it's good, but it just wasn't the kind of Mumblecore-ish genre film I really responded to. Mm-hmm. But I always forget that she did My Sister's Sister, which I always loved. And I always kind of loved the the uh, the infighting that her and Joe Swanberg had, because Joe Swanberg <laughs> always wanted to be like the first one to make like a big kind of... Hollywood feature, mm-hmm. and she got to kind of do it first with um, Laggies mm-hmm. uh, before. I think he was he had done like Drinking Buddies a little earlier, but uh, you know, just like she was a big cornerstone of that genre, like kind of because Mumblecore was always kind of a, a really male dominated kind of genre. Yeah, yeah. Did, like like the female characters in Mumblecore like just weren't much. Well, I think you it's... had um, you had what's her face from from Girls. Uh, I can't remember her name right now um she did uh puffy chair did she do puffy chair uh lena dunham lena dunham Dunham. um but i don't know she just she didn't really have the like west coast authenticity that mumblecore kind of represented like Mm -hmm. you know they they always say like lynn shelton was definitively kind of seattle Mm. um and he kind of felt that and like when Lynn Shelton kind of entered the scene and you kind of felt like this evolution in the genre that's just a big fucking well i think too for she's so young 54. She's yeah, it's 54 and she was directing um television literally all the time and big stuff and usually like the yeah, best some, ep- the best episodes did, of whatever she was of whatever that series was. Yeah, I'm trying to think it she 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 did some of the last season of Marin. Um She did a ton of Marin. She did Mark Marin's last two specials. She did um a lot of Mindy Project. She did a lot of Glow. She just finished Oh, she did a uh, Good Place. Like she did a bunch of Good episode, Place. Like the first episode of Good Place, I think, right? She um just did a bunch she did four episodes of Little Fires Everywhere, which is um awful, but not her fault. That's just a it's one of the worst written, worst acted shows I've ever seen in my life. Have um, you get a have you got a, shot, a chance to watch The Great yet? No, not yet. The Great is like I said good until like Tony McNamara stops writing. And then it kind of <laughs> But apparently he writes well, the last part of the hey, season. But so. that's the problem with television, man. Is that like one guy does a couple of episodes and then a bunch of other people do does everything else, and then you're just like, oh, okay, this stinks. Yeah. And you just but no, like she was she was a really tremendous director. And it sucks. It sucks to like it's just like it really I don't know. Sometimes when it's like a sickness and a person's sick for a while. I don't know. There's like the expectation of, of death coming for them at least. Yeah. But I don't know if that's like a weird way of saying it, but like no, I get it. But... It's at least it's at least looming. Like so, at least there was like a preparation. But just to be like, think you have strep throat, collapse at. I think Marin says like she collapsed in the morning and was dead by like midnight. Yeah, you know, like that's fucking. Like there's, no, it's tragic. there's a real strip of the art there. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I Which agree. is, it's not to underscore like the loss of life, but I think like creators like that themselves would be upset about the stripping of, of the ability to kind of have like that last bizarre. Well, I remember that Annie Leibovitz used to say about um, like the AIDS crisis in New York. Um, and like she would say that it wasn't that they just lost a lot of people. They lost a lot of artists and they lost a lot of um, art appreciators. So like a lot of the things that the people that survived were doing didn't have like this core group of people that could kind of go out and, 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 and tell people about it and talk about it and appreciate it. And I think that's one of the things that we lose when um, someone like Lynn Shelton dies is that like that, that voice. And it was like a singular voice is now just disappeared. And there's not going to be someone that's just going to swoop in and kind of like take it over for, you know what I mean? She was really crafting something specific and now it's just gone. Um, and so it's, it's going to leave a, it's going to leave a, an absence, going to leave a weird absence. And you might not think of it all the time because you didn't make big movies, but at some point you were going to, in the next two years, you'd be like, I wonder what Lynn Shelton was doing. And it's going to be nothing. Yeah. And you know, even if she didn't like inform the things you watch, she informs something of something that's eventually going to get to yeah. a piece of film or, or whatever that, you know, so yeah. yeah, Lynn Shelton, rest in peace. Definitely. On to lighter stuff. David Lynch has bestowed upon us another little treatment of film. What is happening, Mario? What is happening? He has decided to not look out his window to tell us the Fahrenheit temperature and Celsius temperature and about whether or not it's dark and gloomy or golden sunshine. Sat down and, you know, Done some done some scribbles and some doodles and over five years got the scribbles together. Got worked with an animator to create another uh, little short film, the second short film in the four months for us. Yeah, this is called um, Fire uh, parentheses Posar. Um, you would ask me, Mario, to 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 synthesize this. <laughs> I'm not 100 percent sure that's possible. There's a house and there's a tree. And for a while, that's all there is in a hand-drawn, um, I don't remember what it is. Um, in like this hand-drawn little stage setup. Um, and they, they're a little shaky and they're a little grainy. And then all of a sudden, a hole kind of burns into it. And a worm comes out. And then hands come out of the worm's eyes and there's black dots and there's a face and there's antlered beasts dancing in a blighted field and that's the end of the movie it's the 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 score is by uh i have it i have it merrick uh merrick zebronski yeah and i so right after i watched this i went and uh looked up him because i thought the the music is unbelievable and he has worked with david lynch they put out a record ever since they've yeah they've worked for a while too i think together right but they put out a record together on sacred bones like a couple of years ago oh polish uh, night music music, yeah Yeah. and it's fan it's fucking fantastic um this is all in black and white um it is weirdly scary but also weird i'm gonna be honest with you for the first like two minutes i was just bored and angry that I was going to have to sit through this because literally nothing was happening. Um, and I suppose I suppose that'll come back to to haunt me later in the, in the episode. Um, <laughs> but then that little hole appeared and that worm came out and it was kind of weirdly thrilling for a 10-minute piece of animation. 
Um, I don't think it's a it's it's not an all time great anything, but it's kind of awesome. I don't know. I really liked it. So the thing that intrigued me about this was, you know, looking into this um, with Zabrats, he he Lynch kind of was based on a bunch of his doodles. He got the animation. It was eventually animated by. Um, Oh gosh, who 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 ended up animating? No, it? I don't you have, have it. that on you. No, oh, but get it. you know, a third party animated it. But when he gifted it, like after that was done, he kind of gifted it to uh, Zabrowski and kind of said, like, just create a score from this without any sort of pretense. Didn't tell him what it was about. It just said like whatever comes to you. And and Zabrowski talks about like how he's composing it. He would look at like images, and there's a he said like there's a scene where there's a hailstorm, like what he interpreted as a hailstorm. Yep, and. He puts this like uh, I can't remember what he said exactly. I don't have the quote up. I should I should have had the quote. Um, but he talks about like how he kind of like wanted to create this undercurrent of, of like activity and energy, but also this kind of like synthesized not synthesizing, but this kind of you know constant underneath it. Um, it's and just, it's just animated was... by Noriko Miyakawa. Miyakawa. You can Okay, but he just he just talks about how like he would find these moments and just kind of breathe life into them and it got me like looking into kind of david lynch's like alternative artistic expressions mm-hmm. and the thing i found most intriguing was um from 2007 around the time where he like inland empire was starting to get like its festival and like art house run um he had the a retrospective kind of on just his photography and um his kind of like doodling and lithographs um, that were just kind of like a retrospective on his childhood and his uh, teenage years um, called the art is on the, sorry, the air is on fire. Um, that was done in Paris and then also in um, later in Moscow in 2009. And during that, there was a lot of questions about um, intent. Like why did he draw a certain angle? And like one of the questions was like, what is the meaning of blue in this, in like one of these doodles he had? And he said, I just like blue. Like blue is one of my favorite colors. It's a really warm color. And the thing I took from this is just this like interest in that Lynch has always seemed to have in terms of how people take whatever he's doing. Yeah. And just like what they interpret from it. And, and it's, it's interesting because there's a real juxtaposition and dichotomy almost to a certain degree in in terms of the animation you see and and the score like there's a a vivaciousness oh it's fantastic yeah a life to that score versus it's kind of like very sort of like i don't want understated drawing well they're really cut and paste to the animation so it's like it's like he made one of something and then they cut it up and then they animate it like it seems like cell layering yeah a lot of times like especially when that ghost kind of comes in, the worm. It seems like a the the so like there's like a like a, a wormish ghost or like before the worm really comes in, there's like this ghost ghostish thing. Like the you thing with the, when the hands come out of the eyes. Slightly before that, like the uh, I can't remember exactly what it, it, it looks. Maybe what you call a worm, I see as a ghost. Oh, okay. But kind of floats there for a bit, mm-hmm. but it looks like a piece of of cell. It looks like a cell on. It looks like cells on top of cells have just yeah. kind of rubbed around. Um, but it's it's underscored with you know the Sabrowski 
like a veracity that kind of like adds to it and gives it a certain life that isn't necessarily there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of took that being the intent. Like I see a lot of things like trying to ask like, what's this mean? Or what, like, what is to be read into this? And like, maybe nothing is like, maybe it's just like how you feel about it is what matters. Well, I think it, it almost feels as though it's like an experiment of Lynch to stay like, you know, I like doing stuff and I like to see what people take from it. Yeah, I actually don't think intent is really plays into any of his thinking here. I think it's one of the benefits of being David Lynch and the fact that he's... People have tried to pigeonhole him, I think, as one thing for a really long time. And over the last decade, I think he's really kind of tried to... Um, and maybe not even tried to, maybe it's just something he wanted to do is to kind of reposition himself as an artist rather than a director, per se. Yeah. Um, and I think... And the same thing with, like, what did Jack's, what Jack... What did Jack see... What did Jack? What is the name of that? What? What, uh, what, what, what did, did Jack, Jack know? Or what did Jack do? Um, with the monkey, um, is he can he has ideas, and he has the wherewithal to see them through, regardless of how long they take, or like if they mean anything, or if anyone's gonna like them, or if there's any money to be made off of them. He just really, really, really quickly. I have the Amazon Assistant app. And I typed in, what did Jack do? And the first recommendation for me was the Jared Leto film, Chapter 27. That's too bad. <laughs> what what did Mark David Chapman do? Um, yeah, so I don't think there's, I don't think he does intent anymore. And I think people try, I think because of the nature of where we, of, of, of our culture, people keep trying to like rip everything to pieces. And like figure out like what what it's what's actually happening. So people are writing like I just looked it up. I watched it this morning. I didn't look anything up. I just looked it up to see what the animator is. And like Pitchfork has like a couple thousand word review and like the AV Club and all this other. It's like why am, is anyone writing about this? Like what are they writing? Like are they just giving like a kind of detailed description of David Lynch's life, a synopsis of the movie, and then saying what this is weird? Like I don't understand what there is to say about it. But I suppose in 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 uh, I, it's not even now. It's not even this universe. It's, it's what was that? Did you hear, did you hear that? It's motorcycles. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> it's not. It's not even like the like the, the quarantine thing. It's not even a COVID thing. It's just like the last ten years. You can't just watch something and say that was good. I like that. You have to assign all this cosmic grandiosity to it and how it how it fits into like the larger scheme of art in in the world well it's he's striking me i don't know if this is an apt comparison he's trying to strike me as like kind of a david byrne type where it's just kind of like you appreciate what I they're think it's doing very apt, yeah. you appreciate what they're doing but you also realize that they're just kind of people having fun with like their talent yeah and just kind of like throwing things out there and seeing what fits and they're not there's not necessarily uh a function behind it like sometimes they're like I would say obviously Elephant Man and whatnot. He's he's definitely there. There's some sort of function of of narrative intent. Behind yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or Dune. Um, <laughs> things like this where he's being very experimental. Like I I think he's just having fun and he's just he's just kind of like expressing. Well, I would say. I this... mean, he's 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 often said like I come up with plots based upon nightmares I had yeah. over coffee and cigarettes. You know, and sitting with Jim Jarmusch, I guess, and but. I think that's the same thing that Nick Cave is going through now with his red hand file. So I think we've talked about this before. Is that he he people send him questions, and he has a website called the Red Hand Files, and he answers his questions. He like speaks directly to people, and he did that tour where he just like went around to these different places and like sat on stage and just people asked people ask some questions. But people are literally constantly writing him. 
it seems like he answers one of these questions like every other month like why do you do this and he's like i do this because of x y and z things and then someone will be like yeah but why do you do this and it'd be like i don't and he, I, I get the impression that at some point he's gonna be like i don't know what to tell you people anymore like there's no been- there's no larger meaning here that i can express beyond the very large meaning that i've already said has he ever i wonder if he's ever been asked have you ever have you ever felt what it'd be like to be absolutely identified with scream by somebody i'm sure he has i'm sure people have asked him everything (laughs) because every time i see nick cave i'm just like red right hand scream (laughs) i feel bad like nick cave's a great musician but i can't help it because like scream is just such a component of my childhood Mm -hmm. that i i see nick cave i think red right hand and red right hand such a big part of the scream series right well and so that's part of me is um resist i I almost i almost think like people like that would find that kind of fun because it's like a weird sort of like thing like what when you're in that like when you're in that position like the way people take your art and don't necessarily want you to answer it but just kind of like hey you are this to me like oh i think i, I think, think i think nick cave that. and yeah yeah they would like find that like like nick cave would probably find it i'm not i want to put words as well but you probably find it hilarious i'd be like you know i think you're a great musician but you're scream to me or like yeah. you know david no, no, no. byrne like like and all that it's just like it's like it's like i respect what you're doing and i'm like underscoring what you do but like you you have done this for me and it's been a big part of my life but like this is what it has meant to me well and i think that's the problem with what's happening with david lynch now is that like or i it, it seems like it and i think that i'm resistant to it and i think you're a little resistant to it as well which is that like if something when i sit down to something new i'm always like what does this mean and then if the art is good enough i stop caring almost immediately what it means and just watch it and I just consume it. So I, that's what I. So for the first couple minutes of this piece, until the hole got burned into the above the tree in the house, I was just kind of like, "Well, what does this mean? What is David Lynch doing?" And then as soon as that hole opened up and the worm or the ghost came through, I was like, "It doesn't matter. This is cool. I'm just going to listen to the music. I'm going to consider the music along with the thing, and I'm just kind of going to be present in this in this for the next eight minutes." And I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the second the house became like a factory building mm. instead of a house, I was just like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's just fun. Yeah, it's just it's I'm just, just enjoying ideas. myself. Yeah. I'm just going to enjoy a good piece of music with like a fun music video behind it. Almost, Mario, you know? I think this is a really good place to segue when you're talking about like sitting back and enjoying stuff. We've got a couple of movies here. It's hard to sit back and enjoy either of these films. Neither of these movies are just kind of like kick your feet up, open a beer, and just and just let it come to you, man. Well, well, Tom, I'm going to let you know something. Sometimes, and we've talked about this before in, in our episode. Sometimes I like to kick back, open up a book, and read some some good some Kierkegaard. And then do you just walk around your house muttering to and anyone that'll find, listen? And then, and then I find a stick and I avoid all eye contact. And then um, have become the second coming of Christ, apparently. You do do that. I you have do. done that. You, <laughs> people don't realize that there is 7,000 hours of Pivotal Film audio that Tom has to edit out every week of me just like, you know, going off the rails. Yeah. Because it's fun. It's I fun. start pontificating. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we are talking about uh, Carl uh, Theodore Dreyer's uh, Ordet. 
Bare tage på færd. Det er din bror. Johannes? Nej, det er Anders. Andersen, og så er nok i genkaldt mig, Johannes. Ja. Det er nok bedre, at jeg går med. Ja, det er nok. Johannes! Han er vildt gal. Mikkel. Når han går rundt og tror, han er Jesus. Ja, det er vi da også, Inger Pig. Du har da ikke gået hen og forelsket dig i skrædderens ande. Jo. Er det noget galt i det? Hvad med? Nej. Det var nu da ellers den værste, du kunne finde. Du er godt af bekymring og uro for manden ting. Du skal se, Anders han så nok de griller af hovedet. Og... Well, this is number 24 on the... Well, Sight and sound BFI looking. list. Okay, it's tied that. somehow within the mood for love. I guess they did ties, which is good. Good for them. Oh yeah, because there's three number twenty. There's three twenty ones. So La Aventura is twenty one. Contempt is twenty one. The Godfather is twenty one, and then twenty four is Ordet and in the mood for love. Where's so the, where's the director's list? Nineteen on the director's list. That makes sense. 24 on, yeah. Okay. Um, you ready? Oh, I'm ready. In autumn 1925, uh, the elder Morten Borgen is with his three sons kind of planning his exit from the world. He's, he's widowed. Um, he's played, by Brian, son, played by Brian Cox. Yeah, actually kind of, yeah. Uh, no, played by Priven Rye, who was 80 at the time. He looks, he's definitely older, but he f- has a vivaciousness that feels younger. In um, this movie? Three- Continue. Yeah. Continue. Continue. Has, has three sons. Um, Mikkel, who's kind of lost his faith, um, but is the eldest. Uh, he has he has two children with his uh, very faithful wife, Inger, who has, a, has trouble maintaining eye contact with anybody, but seems pretty happy about her life um and she is pregnant with her third child her his youngest morton's youngest son anders is um you know the typical youngest son uh but is utterly in love with uh Anne, the daughter of peter the tailor from town a town which it seems like the borgans have kind of rough shot over they seem like they're the ruling class kind and of his yeah, and Johannes, his middle son, who was kind of the the wizened one, the one who was set out to be the kind of prophet or the voice of um, the town, uh, who went off and read some Soren Kierkegaard and now believes he's to be the second coming of Christ. Yep. You know, Tom, I often read Thomas Aquinas and believe that I am Snagglepuss, so it makes sense. <laughs> um, Anders uh, uh, tries to marry Anne, but Peter, the tailor, the father of Anne is having nothing to do about it because they're two very divisive clans of Christians. Uh, the Borgans are kind of the more happy-go-lucky nouveau Christians who believe everything is that life and Christianity is kind of more based in the goodness of life and the goodness of people. And Peter's kind of a little more of a Calvinist in that he thinks that, you know, things are going well for me. Everyone else is going to burn in the eternal pits of fire. So Peter will not allow Anne to marry Anders insofar as the Borgans 
could not be brought to his side of Christianity. There's a bit of, uh, you know, bickering back and forth. It's a kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. Yeah, a, a real kerfuffle. Yep. Some some feathers are ruffled. Uh, has Morton and Peter argue this? Um, meanwhile, Johannes is kind of lingering around, uh, loudly screaming pontifications about the impending doom. And Peter kind of reflects that uncertain pending doom. And it turns out that the impending doom is that Inger, um, who is pregnant with her, her third child, uh, suffers a a trouble with her pregnancy. Suffers um, a something. They cut that baby up. Yeah. Four they pieces. cut that child into four pieces. It was a son. Um, uh, the the child has to be ab- aborted. Still, I mean, the child I assume is born, stillborn, mm-hmm. but it's kind of an abortion, um, quote unquote. Um, but Inger's it appears to be okay. Uh, however, Johannes says, you know, you have to come around again to God, uh, Morton, and or else more things will happen to you. Um, he, he seems still resistant to that, and Inger dies. She she fades away in the night, and uh, Johannes disappears into the wilderness. After this, they could they go looking for him, and they also plan the burial of Inger. Um, the town descends upon this burial. Peter reads the one of the most common verses of the Bible ever, and suddenly realizes he's being an asshole. That was a, that was a moment that was weird. What's the what's a very common verse uh, in the Bible? Just just when he reads, um, oh god, I can't remember what the quote is right now. But I remember watching the movie, going like, "Why is this such a surprise to Peter?" I will look it up when you're, because I I want to turn to you first. But like, when I'm, <laughs> I'll look it up when when I when I do it. But I remember when when Peter like when Peter's reading the Bible and it's like, "Oh my god, I've been such an asshole." I'm like, yeah, no shit, guy. Yeah. Like I'm a pretty like soft Christian in terms of like I don't know. At least, I at least know my Bible verses to be like, oh, you're being a real doucheweed. Anyways, <laughs> Peter and Morton uh, kind of make up, um, and Johannes reappears, uh, who is now semi back of sound mind. He's, he's, he's he seems to, to be wits. for a second, yeah. Seems to have his wits about him, but then he he deeply goes back into. He seems to still be channeled with God. Um, eventually, Inger and Mikkel's daughter. Um, wishes for her his mom to be back because none of the other ones including the new town priest seem to our pastor seem to have the faith behind them they don't believe in miracles um, anymore they don't believe in miracles they, they believe the time of miracles is past as the new pastor says um and with her faith inger is uh resurrected Mikkel is a christian again he found this faith uh, Morton and Peter have made up, and everything's uh, everything's everything's golden, 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 good. Hooray! I I think so. So Tom, while I look up this important Bible verse that Peter suddenly finds so profound, um, <clears throat> did you think of or debt? Um, I, th- I I think one of the things we talked about when we kind of cobbled together this episode um, through some some irritated text messaging earlier in the week um, was thinking about the idea that like you're supposed to like some things that there's just like a whole bunch of movies and it's the same thing with music is the same thing with books. There are things 
there are works of art you're just supposed to like and you don't really have any say in it. And I feel like, and I told you about the, the Criterion essay um, or the essay from the Criterion Collection edition of um, Ordet, which was by Chris Fujiwara. And he essentially is saying the same thing too. Like, you don't have any choice here. Ordet is great. Here is a couple of reasons why it's great. The problem with that conversation for me, Mario, is that it starts with the premise that this movie is great. So it doesn't even really kind of have to dig into any of the things that really make it great. It actually, I think, takes a few leaps in terms of what they this essayist assumes that Dreyer is doing based on the idea that it's great. So he mentions one time that like, or maybe it's him or Roger Ebert, because Roger Ebert's great film essay like, does the same thing where they talk about the lighting being celestial. Is the lighting celestial in this movie? They talk about the camera doing all these like really subtle, like interesting, tricky things. Like the camera is observing, but the camera moves a little bit. And in that slight movement, it's showing this, you know, change and blah, 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 blah. Fine. You know what I mean? I, I, I would be interested to read. Did you read any of Paul Schrader's like thoughts on Ordet? Um, I did not. Okay. I would be interested to read some of those, but I'm going to assume that they're going to start from the same premise that Ordet is very good film and Ordet may be a very good film. Um, I may watch films wrong um, and I may have been watching them wrong forever. I think this is an Alhazard Balthazar thing, man. And I don't get it. I mean, I, I get the film. I totally get it. I don't think I'm missing anything. I think that we have gotten to a point um as a film culture where we are with like something like the BFI list where it's like, this is good. And you kind of had this last week with in the mood for love where like, they're just like, this is the number 24 best film ever made done. You know what I mean? Like end of conversation. Yeah. It's just good. You just like it. I, I mean, we'll have, we'll have this conversation in 20 minutes. Oh, we're, we're going to have this conversation. In 20 minutes. <laughs> um, Maybe more intensely. In the Mood for Love, I think, is a good movie. I just I, I question its placement. Well, I'm gonna, the movie we'll talk about I'm movie gonna, we'll talk about soon enough. I will vehemently disagree with this position anywhere on any list. And ever. I'm gonna and so I'm gonna I'll set it up for the viewers. We are you and me are gonna come from the extreme opposite ends of that conversation. Like yeah. whatever you can imagine the most extreme opposite ends of that is, that's where we're gonna be that's where that conversation starts from. So it should be interesting. It should be very interesting. I, I mean, I legitimately think it's one of the worst movies ever made. And I think it's the exact opposite of that. So <laughs> that'll be fun. We're ready. Um, or did I think fall somewhere in the middle? I guess it's from a historical it's standpoint. Really I guess in the it's, middle, yeah. it's very necessary. I guess it's doing some things that other directors are going to piggyback off of. I think it's a, I think it's a tough watch in 2020. Um, it's just from so a, dated. It's so dated well, from it's, a story perspective. And it's so the religion in it is so naive and like silly and 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 like grammar school like. Uh, Bible study religion. You know what I mean? It's like the worst thing that can happen in faith is that you don't have faith and that you're, you're going to marry someone whose faith is a little different. Like those are the, those are the two, those are the two things this film is hanging. It's like very imposing hat on. It's very weighty hat. And I don't, I don't think it works. The thing I love is like, also has, as a, as a Christian, like, or at least the person who leans towards like Christian ideas, like ah, Christian, basically, like 
Mikkel would still not believe after that ending. He'd just be like, oh, oh, that's that's weird. Like, that must be some explanation of that. But I don't have a story. My, my, my problems with this, uh, so my problems with this new line of story, the story fucking sucks. Like, I tried to look up the Peter the Taylor thing, and I don't remember it, but I know it's one of the most popular Bible verses of all time, and it would blow my mind, and I can't, that's something to do with judging, but there's so much about the Bible that has to do with judging <laughs> that many Christians apparently forget because like the New Testament is pilfered with things about judging other people before yourself and Christianity has forgotten about that but it's it's something you look at and go like yeah no fucking shit guy like that is like front and center the story for this movie is fucking garbage like it is super infantile for its age like it's it's post-dating something like third yeah. man which has like a third man which we'll talk about way later mm-hmm. which has like a more kind of intricate sort of nuanced definition of like i, I always look at third man as kind of this like weird conversation about sin and righteousness mm-hmm. like third man for me is like this really good contemplation on that yeah and that movie predates this by like five years and it's 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 a more intricate kind of gray area of this and but it does it in a much more lively human way. And you have, you know, this is 1952. Like the voice in terms of, of story structure has been established. And it stinks. Like this is this was written by uh, the Danish playwright um, Kaj Munk. It, it sucks because it's a 1932 play. He was, he was killed by the Nazis, mm-hmm. um, murdered by the Nazis. So like you give it a little credence there. Um, but it, it, even for its time, it's so out of place. Uh, the thing, when I first watched this, I was, I was pretty, pretty drunk on a Friday, you know, <laughs> that's not the talking, ideal way to watch this movie. No, we're talking about the fuzzies. Um, I had gone, got some fuzzies, but I'd also gotten, um, a decent amount of super, super nuts. Yep. Was and that'll drinking, do it. Drinking those. I was that'll drinking do those. It. Um, and I was just hating my, my time, hating my life. Uh, and I, I gave up. I told you I, I we had to switch movies and we switched movies. And I came back to this after watching the movie we'll talk about. And and I appreciate that time. The thing I appreciate about this film and the thing that I think a lot of people put forefront is this is a really fucking beautiful movie to look at. Is it? Like, I don't think it is. No, it has such good like color contrast. I don't think so. Like, and no, what I, and I don't want to be a jerk. I, I, think I just, I think this, I think this is playing into like the thing with the. No, I don't think it, I, I, I would agree with you. Except for the fact that, like, Johannes's sweater has, like, this fucking tactileness to it. Yeah. That yeah, it I does. don't get. Like, watching films of its time, you don't get. Like, you don't get, like, the, the, like, the, the, the feeling of it. And, like, it's, it's a flat movie often. Like, this movie's very stagey. It's always Oh, it's, su- it's so stagey. It's, it's, it sucks, it's, yeah. It's super stagey. It's always three walls. But, like, there's... So it feels very constructed. So it feels um, like a passion play quite often. Well, and that's why it's, no it, one's ever like, looking I, at each other because everyone's just like looking out into the audience for some reason audience, still. Yeah. But like there's there's a real thing with the color that, that fits. Like it's one of the first movies I could look at like next to like something Wells would have done. Like, like a Citizen Kane or, or, or of that ilk or, or something of those kinds in that period of time that, that 
like really focuses on lighting. Like mm-hmm. lighting is is solid here. And the reason I could watch this a second time, and I would still never put this anywhere fucking near a top hundred list or a top hundred fifty list because it doesn't belong there. But in terms of like, hey guys, like this is how you should light a movie that's doing like that's presenting itself in this way. Like I would say yes because it's lit extremely well. The thing yeah. I took from Ordet is it's lit really well, and the fact that like when Inger kisses Mikkel and the spit comes off of it, I'm like, I could see it. I like that in 1952. I was like, I like that in 1952, we allow a trail of saliva to be shown. But here's what I would say to like to that is that if again, and so this this is just reinforcing your this is that's it. Yeah, this is reinforcing your not number twenty four, I guess, and you know moving it off of like whatever top whatever list. Is that like you know I know on this list the BFI Passion of the Christ or, or the Passion of Joan of Arc is um, nine. I lost you. I lost you. Oh, you did. And. Oh no, I got you. Back. Okay, Passion of Joan of Arc. He, which it's predates which this by what? Master Passion of Joan of Arc is yeah, yeah. Passion um, of Joan of Arc is a fucking masterpiece. Well, and he does stuff. And you've seen you've seen Passion of Joan of Arc, right? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. That's a, he does that's a fucking, and that's that has all the aspects of the lighting. That has the lighting, but it also has like the closeness. And like this is the thing that like, but it doesn't. Have... did extremely well. Yeah, like this and Vampire is like. Bring your camera in on somebody and like let them do the work. See, that's the weird thing about this movie is let them do the work is an interesting thing to say because they don't. He doesn't. No one's doing any work here. Like I, people He's not letting them. People cry on cue. Johannes, I, I actually, I think, um, the actor that plays him, I think, did a good job. I, I kind of found him upsetting after a while, um, like especially when he was talking to the daughter. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Preben Rye is Johannes. Um, Hendrik Malberg is, okay. is Morton. Um, I think Preben Rye is amazing here. He's not allowed to do anything though. Well, I think he's doing something. I think he's doing something interesting. I'm not 100 percent sure I know what it is, but I know that I don't really love it in terms of like how it makes me feel, um, For, especially when having his uh, uh, Johannes. Yeah, especially well, he's when, talking to the daughter. Like it's, the that's tough. I, that's a I tough. Love a, that. And I love it in the way that like I it makes me very uncomfortable. Like you know he seems really like wrecked beyond kind of all recognition and everyone's just really focused authentically mentally Ill. and people just seem to hate him you know they hate him for yeah. being jesus i guess which is just like a, a like so on the nose thing for like a movie about religion to do that um it kind of blunts like whatever edge that it had um but other than that, I mean, I'm pretty. I was pretty indifferent. I, I it was, well, it was a long fucking two hours, and we're going to talk about a three hour and twenty three minute movie, which did not feel that way for me. So I'm going to be honest. That movie does not feel that way for me. But I just don't. I like the movie we'll talk about doesn't feel that yeah. long for me. It just angers me. But um, there's a lot of missed opportunities with this, which which is bothersome for a day. Like there's a lot. There could be a lot of complexity with the Ovrud character. That the new pastor, that feels like it's hinted yeah. at, especially in that conversation between Johannes and him. But there's no like hinting kind of at like all. Left They're on just, the table. Yeah, he just kind of, he just kind of, um, he's not a believer. Like he's not a true believer. I think it's weird. Yeah, that this movie tries to draw these distinctions between people that are like actually religious and people that are just like religious. I'm, I'm doing weird, a lot of air quotes Dreyer, here. Dreyer doesn't strike me as a person who's so like black and white, like. Passion of Joan the Ark has a lot of these kind of like 
gray area questions about like the religiosity and the and the strength of character and like vampires definitely like very gray well the what the um, reviewer made it seem like dryer wasn't really even all that religious at all like he was like a uh you know he wasn't like a a pious man or anything like that so i'm not 100 percent sure what the point of all blueberry movies (laughs) what oh apple or blueberry pious huckleberry (laughs) i'm doing the color grab fellas that's how you know it's bad um yeah, no, this, I, upon rewatch, still thought this movie stunk from like a story perspective. But I, things, I don't know, like this is going to definitely be a week where I look at both of like the major reviews for this and like they talk about like the slowness in this. Like, oh, oh my God, this, like, the, keep your fucking slowness comments to yourself, man. Oh, the people have a problem with the slowness. I don't have a problem with the slowness. I have a problem with the fact that there's no stakes. Who cares what happens to any of these people? Well, it's not even that, but like, it also the slowness also at times feels like an editing problem where you look at like an empty room for like five seconds and then somebody comes into it and there's no purpose for that well like the next movie we'll talk about next we will talk about has a purpose for all of that this doesn't this just feels like it just happens because it's like oh uh in a passion play like an empty set would be shown first and then somebody would come into it yeah i don't know well, that's and when I was thinking of it, I really couldn't stop thinking about first reformed, and I guess it's maybe it's recency bias, and I don't, really, but I really don't think it is. Is that and maybe it's the it's the idea that you're making this a movie like this sixty years later. You know what I mean? You're making a movie about questioning your faith sixty years after this movie got made. The life is so much more complicated now, but the complicated nature of life is reflected in first reformed i'm not sure whose life this is supposed to be is this really what people's lives are like like you're supposed to work on a farm okay like oh he read a book end of conversation he's fucked up forever because he read a book but now he has magical powers i think that's supposed to be a joke i i took that as like a comedy line i guess him reading Kirk, like, like it's even I think it's, that. it is funny, but I also think yeah. it's like, if it's supposed to be 1920 something in, in, um, you know, Denmark, maybe they're all freaked out about Kierkegaard. I don't know. People are still freaked out about Kierkegaard today. When I told my mom I'm a big Kierkegaard fan, she was uncomfortable. And there was, was some fear. My, and I thought I was, I thought I was like, she thought I was damning myself to hell. And I'm like, you, are why? Very weird. It's just thinking. And I'm like, I'm also, so like they're very consistent with like religion <laughs> but anyways um the, the, yeah it's 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 a really flat movie it's it's a movie without stakes it's but it's i don't i don't know like these two movies i just don't see what's what's seen in them um i, I look at this and like i couldn't take it at first i mean i could take it better than i could have taken the the jean vigo film i tried to watch and i again tried to watch a second time and yeah. can't do I like those texts. We settled like on La Alante for like thirty minutes, and then you texted me back like, "Not doing it. I'm not doing it's, it." It's it's a <laughs> fucking boring disaster. I'm sure it's great for its time, but the time passes. But you, like, you, it's it's interesting because you look at you're you're talking about the Paul Schrader thing, and it's like, yeah, I I think things have to evolve to a point where we go like, you know what? Were these the influences on the people I respect now? Yeah. Yes, I respect them for that. But are they as good as the things I like from the people that were influenced by them? No? Okay, then they're not the best anymore. They were the best 
like 40 years ago, if yeah. I had seen Ordet, would I have put Ordet near the top of the list of something? It's, it's very likely. It's very likely because of there's some lines crossed, the spit coming off of her mouth, the contemplations on mental, like 50 years ago, let's say not 40 years ago, let's say 50 years ago, let's say before New Hollywood and before like French New Wave and Japanese New Wave. So you're, but you're creating and, for yourself like a tiny window yeah. where Ordette really mattered. And I guess the weird thing about yeah. that is if you gave me Ordette or an Ozu film, I'm literally going to say what's Ordette? Because I would rather but, watch Tokyo's, I'd rather watch Ozu do nothing than watch Carl Dreyer do nothing. But you could, you could see in the position of like a Paul Schrader, like in that position of life where Paul Schrader was, let's say, where like Ozu presents this like image, like, like this new image in this really interesting way in terms of the way life is meant, like is, and, and the vivaciousness and the fullness of it all, but still very kind of safe. Yep. Against this background of like, extreme discontent that japan was was in in post-world war ii but then you present like breston who's kind of like pushing kind of limits and kind of like feeling things out and kind of questioning the moral like the moral ambiguity of heroes and villains well, so, that he kind of would do and then you compare that to like dryer who's really kind of like pushing things with like kind of violence and sexuality and because like dryer's like really underlying it like the line of spit is very sexual but it's very underlined sexual. And there's a real, there is a real, between Mikkel and Inger, there's a sexuality there that's a, like very religiously locked in, mm -hmm. that's repressed, but there. Yep. But I could see being in like a young Paul Schrader, like 15, 20 year old Paul Schrader position going like being driven by that, you know, being well, kind of like awakened by that. Here's what I would say. And I would, and, and then we can pivot, I guess. Uh, we'll find a way to pivot. Is pivot. that Piven. pivotal film? Jerry, Jeremy Piven. Um, Jeremy <laughs> Piven film. That's the, that's the next iteration of this. As we just talk about Jeremy Piven's movie. The next film we're talking about smoking aces, <laughs> is, by the way. Is PCU. Um, <laughs> never seen it. Can't talk about it. Oh, you've never seen PCU? About, I can talk about smoking aces forever. Yeah. Um, I'm not kidding. I could do a podcast. I think, yeah, we're not going to talk about movies. I think Vinny Jones is in that, right? Is no. Vinny Jones in that? Who's in that? No. Matthew Fox. Matthew Fox. Ryan Reynolds. Andy Garcia. Chris Pine. No. Oh. Um, Common. I thought that was like a post-snatch um, Vinny Jones, like. It is post-snatch, but Vinny Jones is not in that movie. Okay. Anyway. Ben Affleck. Peter Berg. No, this movie's a thumbs down. Um. I think the Alicia thing, Keys. I think the thing that people are responding to when they think about, I think the thing that Paul Schrader is responding to is theme. Pisha Henson, I think, is in that. And um, I think if you have, I think if you, if you're interested in the themes of presenting religion or thinking about religion, you're gonna find Ordet really moving. And I think comparing those three people, Brisson, Ozu, and and uh, Dreyer for a second, I think. Ozu is the most universal out of all of those. He's not really necessarily picking like a specific theme. Oh, absolutely. And so because and even if he's talking about Japan, even if he's talking about something very specific to a, a specific time frame, it's more universal. So you can kind of, you yourself can, can find things in it to it's appreciate. Humanist, it's extremely humanistic. Right. Brisson is, leans so heavily into metaphor that it almost, his movies are almost laughable. Like, Ahazard Balthazar, and I'm just going to say that because I'm, I'm not going to go on, like, a big Brisson thing here. Ahazard Balthazar is hilarious because 
it's not even trying to be subtle in its use of like what that fucking donkey is. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's all right there. Everything in that movie sucks. Um, the you know the use of the, like the the treatment of women like the who's evil who's good all this stuff you know the the woman's the confused one and there's good people and there's evil people it doesn't matter and, the, and she's between all of it doesn't matter it's just this big metaphoric mess that for uh, someone in 2020 doesn't really work for me anymore dryer seems to really be like eschewing metaphor totally but also kind of Eschewing any attempt to make this a, like a universal, make this a film that can be appreciated universally. It is literally about this one family and about this one thing that religion is, religion will mess you up, but is also super good and necessary. And so there it is. I mean, that's, it's, it, that's, it's, it's, it's just it's about so this weird, one thing. It's such like a, it's such like a really like facile sort of like interpretation yes. of it and and dryer's not that from no, the movies and, i've seen from dryer and, and that's so i think the thing that's pissing me off is like this shit is baby stuff like passion of uh, passion of john of arc you know um dave Rath, so, is like vampire socio government like like the socio government aspect of passion of joan the arc is so beyond its time like it's 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 almost controversial today because like this this kind of conflict between the social government and religious aspects of passion of Joe New York are kind of questions that would still be like brought up now. Right. And this is just kind of like everyone would be like, this is fucking stupid. They're both idiots. Like they're both like Westboro Baptist church people. Who cares? Or just read more of the Bible. These people yeah. don't seem like they've read very much of the Bible. No, they haven't read any of the Bible. It seems, I mean, it seems really, 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 really weird. And I was, so I was confused and I was a little disappointed because I was really hoping that um, my reaction to that film would be kind of similar to this next one. I thought they could both. Well, I will say I thought, this, I thought they could, I thought they would, it would hold up better. Pretty to look at for me. It's still really pretty to look at. See, I, and it was weird because when I wanted a pretty when I wanted like a really meaningful shot. So like when Inger wakes up, you know what I mean? And they cut to, shots flat. Yeah. When they cut to Morton and Peter, they're just two guys just standing there. And they're like, Oh, this is old God. Yes, it is. God is good. Yes. And it's just like, why is this happening? Could you, could you imagine that if they hide five and it had been a freeze frame and then like a nice, like seventies disco riff had been there. That, that would have been there. awesome. That would have been awesome. But like that's where I wanted like a I wanted like a you know something a meaningful shot. A shot that but meant there, something. And it's just a gray wall and two guys. And there's, there's a, like a Mario. there's a fluidity in the camera. Like especially like when Johannes is delivering his like sermon on the hill. Yeah, or when he's talking to the when he's talking to the daughter. It moves in these kind of subtle ways that I think are And, there, and there's are a good way the camera setting. there's a way the camera moves around the farmhouse that like is it's weird it's kind of weird for the eight. Like But I wouldn't would it, I mean, I re- it, it feels weird for the image because, yeah. like, but I know it's if not I would, necessarily weird for the time, but it feels weird for the film presented. But I'm not sure I would read anything into it, and I think that's where all these directors. I don't read anything are, into it. I just think it looks no. Weird. But I think this is where all these directors are coming from: is that they've decided to read into it some kind of like religious base or some kind of like uh, a, a god presence in that, and I, don't, I just don't think it's there. I think it's there because you want it to be there more so than yeah. You know, read, read all your god presence and. Passion of Joe the Ark, which is like fucking drowning in 
like religiosity. Well, like then, you I, want God, you find it in like Passion of Joan the Ark. Again, like, I that movie wanna... breathes like, yeah. like a belief in a God. And I don't want to push this too far forward, but like in silence, they're literally dying, like on camera, dying for their gods. You know what I mean? And that's supposed to have taken place like 500 years before this. So like, or I don't, maybe it's not 500 years, 200 years, 300 years, 100 years, doesn't matter. This was like, like, I think it's like 400 years. There's like, real legitimate stakes in silence. Wait, silence is 16, so 300 years? I think so. I it but I could be wrong. Um, but there's like legitimate actual stakes, both physical and metaphysical well, in that film. You know what I mean? Do we, do we know who, who, who or debt? Shows up for on the science sound list for the director's poll. Uh, I can look. I'm looking it up right now. When I tried to look this up, it, it did not pop up with the votes. All right, who got the votes? Directors. Um, some people I don't know. Pablo Lorraine. Um, this is this Ordet? Yeah, there's a lot of people I don't know. A lot of people I don't know. So but it's not Scorsese. I would have, I would have no. seen Scorsese would have put this on his top ten. Pablo Lorraine is the only one that I know. Oh, Nicholas Echeverria is another one that I know. But that's it. I don't know either of those people because I'm a bad movie critic. Um, but yeah. So there we are, Mario. We're dead. Yeah. In any other in any other episode, Mario, this would be an episode. We are at episode time here, but this is not any other episode. Do you understand that, folks? Oh, a fantastic woman in Jackie. Oh, what? Oh, wait, no, he just produced it. He directed Jackie. And Jackie was a weird. Pop, I, I didn't Pablo know who Rain, Pablo yeah. was. Jackie was a weird. Did you see Jackie? It's not like a success, but it's fucking weird. It's like one of the weirdest biopics I've seen in a long, long time. So we are going to pivot, folks. We are going to pivot. Not from. Okay. I can't keep saying the name of the podcast, by the way. Yeah. We are going to pivot. All. Um, not necessarily to uh, – uh, this is not something totally new. We're kind of staying in the same realm here. where we Really quickly, a... before you do this, by the way, I am drinking a new brewery we have not talked about on this podcast, Two-Farted Brewery, brewing out of North Haven. Uh, their double IPA, the, the Roller Blade double IPA, it's really good. Well, we'll make can make you should keep notes for this stuff so so we can get it when we yeah we'll talk sit we'll down talk with this. each other yeah yeah I'll put I'll put this on the uh, I'll put this on the list for yeah because it's it's being distributed so put it on the table we'll do this on a episode um these are this is another film that traditionally it seems like even though you and me I hadn't heard of it until I saw it on this list and then actually I, I hadn't either weirdly I saw it on somebody else's list of like really long movies that you can watch during quarantine and I was like oh okay that's weird. Um, it is, but it's another one of those movies that you're supposed to like, and it's, you know, it's climbing. I think it's been, it's been, you know, going up, um, in, um, you know, esteem and on this list as the, as the years have gone by. And I'm going to do the English pronunciation because I'm, I don't care. It's Gene Dealman, uh, 23 Commerce Quay, 1080 Brussels. Oui, je l'ai vu plus ou moins jeune, J'ai mis quelques mots, j'ai vite écrit quelques mots. Et puis le lendemain, j'ai écrit le tout en 15 jours et tout, 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 tout était écrit. C'est-à-dire que c'était presque écrit comme un nouveau roman. Chaque geste, chaque geste, chaque geste. Évidemment, tout est venu très facilement parce que 
C'est ce que j'ai pu observer autour de moi, forcément. Enfin, pas la prostitution et le meurtre, qui bien la prostitution étant bien sûr une sorte de métaphore, mais le reste, je le connaissais, c'est dans ma peau, quoi. This movie is... Well, really quickly, by the way. Yeah. Not an actual street in Brussels, apparently. I don't know if that means something. We'll talk about it. This no, film is directed by Chantal Ackerman. Uh, it came out in 1975. It stars uh, Delphine Seyrig as Jean, and her son is played by Jan de Court. Um, Sylvian. Um, this is a movie, if you want to look it up, and I, I'm not lying, it is uh, It's told in three days, and it is um, just about a woman named Jean Dealman who is uh, a prostitute. <clears throat> um, but she's also a homemaker. And what we see in this movie is her going about her day, doing all of the things that she needs to do. She's making dinner. She's making coffee. She's washing dishes. She's setting the table. She is taking knitting. Baths. She's what? Taking baths. Don't forget about taking, taking baths. Taking baths. Uh, making the bed, opening the windows. Don't forget the- about cleaning the bathtub. Clean the bathtub, going... With Ajax. Going, yeah. I, I was picking up a lot of English words also, um, like English products. I don't Maybe Ajax is not an English product. I don't know. Um, but this is what happens in this movie for three and a half hours. And if my wife hears me say that this movie is three and a half hours one more time, I think she's going to punch me in the face because I've said it like a million times over the last couple of days. Um, and then something three hours and 21 minutes. And then something happens at the end. And I don't know if we'll we won't spoil it right this second, but we will spoil it like in this conversation. So don't worry about that. Um, and the spoiler, the spoilers. Are you? Me. Do you want to throw down, or do you want me to kind of start a fire, and you try to put it out, or do you want me to like wrestle the bucket out of your hand or something? I I would like to hear your opinion before I go in. Okay, I was ready. Because you you express the commonly accepted opinion of it, I think, and I do not. I got a lot. Um, I found it weirdly transfixing at first, and then I got really into it. And I think it's pretty genius. And I think it's I don't know. I've I've come up with two movies for like what you would argue would be like the best movie ever. You know what I mean? If you were making not like a pivotal film list. But just like if you were trying to make a, what do you think of the greatest films ever made list? I don't think I could do that necessarily. The two films I've been able to come up with that I know would be on it are Seven Samurai and Apocalypse Now. Like I know them. I know it without thinking about it. Those two movies would be on like the, those would be in the top five. Those two movies for sure. And there's other ways around it. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, I think I might find a place for this in that like in that top five or even top 10, this, I think this movie is a killer Mario. (laughs) Mario, can I be honest with you? I imagined you were going to do that before we had this conversation. I was like, Mario's going to just close the computer and go. Mm -hmm. I think this movie is fucking sneaky smart. I think it is sneaky deep. And I know you're going to like totally disagree with me. Um, I got a list of stuff that like I was able to pull out of this movie that I think is just like borderline incredible. And I think some of it is, some of it is, is maybe a mistake. I kind of, you talked about intentionality before. I don't know some, like the intentionality of some of these things. Like, I don't know the intentionality of the traffic lights, like in the window of like the, the, the rhythm of those traffic lights and they repeat on a pattern. 
because I think everything repeats on a pattern in this movie. You know what I mean? But is there oh, like sure. something very specific about that pattern? Is there something specific about the traffic lights? Is there something? Um, is there a rhythm related to another rhythm? And I think that there is in that stuff. The idea of the idea, the marriage of process and pattern, but also like the really so Jean is a really she's kind of not a cold fish, and she's not. She's not distant necessarily, but she's got her, she's got her life worked out like the way she wants it. And that's inevitably what happens to the movie and the drama comes from, um, that kind of, you know, being undermined by herself in a lot of ways, by her feelings, by her emotions. I've often had this idea. Gravity. Gravity. Yeah. I had this idea, Mario, a long time ago. It was like one of the next... So I'm working on a book right now. It was like the next thing I was going to work on was going to be and this idea that I had about like why everyone always has their headphones on all the time. You know what I mean? And it was just like to stop themselves from like having to think. If they're just always listening to stuff, they never have to think about things. And I think this movie... I don't have to do that because this movie does that very specifically. It's... it's ask, ask you to think. No, it's because it's at some point the wheels come so thoroughly off of her life that the process that she set in place, um, the thing that she set the process in place to prevent her from thinking, she thinks about. We have no idea what that is. Um, I think it could be any number of things. I think that's one of the cool things about the movie is that there's like some some some, some suggestions that it could be sinister could be something you know what i mean um i think the i think the prostitution thing especially coming out of belle de jour was kind of a shock i didn't know that was going to happen um and it's it's like right in the like the beginning of the movie um which kind of sets up a, a like a character question you know what i mean and she's she's doing all the right stuff but then there's these really subtle like character markers so then she gets that baby and i was just like i even wrote down in my notes like what's she gonna do with this baby and then, I was really you know she, what? I was really hoping she's gonna kill that baby. You know what the answer to the question is? Nothing. She doesn't do anything with that baby. <laughs> that baby sits on the dining room table in a carrier until the mom comes back home. But what was the mom doing? And so the mom, like, time is really sneaky in here. And this kind of it drew me into, like, I wonder if Charlie Kaufman really likes this movie because there's a there's a synecdoche New York looseness to time here where we use. Oh, interesting. Because I. I took from this Synecdoche, New York, did everything this is trying to do so much fucking better. But it, so Synecdoche, New York added things to this. This literally stripped all By making that it stuff a away. Fucking movie. But see, that's the thing. And I'm going to go. I think so. One of the problems I had with Hordet was we're gonna that. Have pro, we're going to have a real process issue here yeah. about what we believe a movie is. What, so, and, but here's the thing. I think one of the things, one of the problems I had with Ordette is that I didn't think it was very cinematic at all. And I think you, you know, you found some color things in it, and I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that I see that. There are some, like, utterly breathtaking cinematic shots in this movie. It's yeah, a, when I shoot, when I shoot something for like 50 hours and cut it down to three hours, I'll find something too. See, I don't think that's true though, because I think the way that like the kitchen is lit when she's like standing at that table is 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 great. No, I'm being I'm being I'm being an asshole. I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, no, I'm not like we're not gonna. I just want you to know and our audience to know that like at the end of this conversation, whenever it does end, we're not gonna like not be. <laughs> we're not gonna not oh, be friends. Oh, no. 
I'm going to sober up, drive out there and beat the shit out of <laughs> We, we may need a day or two, but um, I think, and there's like, I think there's a couple of shots like that. And I think that, I think the way that she uses color, I think, or not color, but like composition is really interesting. Like when they go out on the street for the first time, cause it's Tuesday and they take a walk on Tuesday um, or they walk maybe in a certain direction on Tuesday because they also take a walk on Wednesday. Um, it's like the darks are so like weirdly murky. Um, it's there's like an emotion to it and it's weird because she is so emotionless. And I think Chantal Ackerman really nailed how to use how cinema works and how to use images to convey emotions and not just like one image, but like how to stack and scaffold how to stack images and scaffold meaning to create an emotion. I think it's, it's pretty, I think it's pretty amazing. And so, and that's, I think my only problem is that like the shock of the ending, I don't think is as shocking as some of those really long shots of, of, um, Jean just sitting in a chair. Like I thought those were like way more shocking or when she picked up the baby, like on, uh, the later scene. So she gets the baby two days in a row for who knows how long she actually has to watch that baby for. Um, I think that was a really shocking thing too. I think because your grasp, you're 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 wondering what the actual emotion is of this woman, and that puts ideas that that puts ideas in your head, and those ideas you don't really get a sense of. There's no satisfaction to those ideas. They're just there, but they could all be true. Um, yeah, I think it was really. I I didn't see it coming. I like literally didn't see it coming. I don't. Again, I'm there's like a, a hyperbole thing to some of that like me saying that it's so good and I'm not saying that like I would put it on my list and it's not like a pivotal film list because I, I recognizing things from other movies but from an art piece I think as an art piece it's amazing like I'm I'm surprised they don't show it like in museums like every day I think it's banana town and I say stuff banana is banana town a lot and I really wish I would come up with a different phrase to say than banana town but I like saying banana papayaville <laughs> it's fucking papayaville um but it is. I think. I just think it is. I think it's crazy. I, I and I. Um, yeah, it's weird. I actually would put it. I would have put it higher than thirty-five. But I'm. You know, I'm not a person that likes half of the movies that are before, <laughs> that are before it. So, yeah. There, I feel uh, like I'm losing my fucking mind, because everything you just said. It's the same thing that like Sofia Coppola and Karen Kusama. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't. Movie. I didn't read any of that stuff because I don't have time for that stuff. I don't fucking. I'm not going to say I don't get it because that to me would assume that I'm missing something, and I refuse to admit that. This movie is a fucking steaming pile of shit. But and why? I, the reason I argue this is when I was in my mid-20s, I also thought, you know, it'd be really clever and smart is to hold a big mirror up to the way we see life, the way we, we inhabit our lives and the way that we kind of walk through our lives and just present it as it is. You know, people go to the films to escape things. Yeah. We go to the movies to walk away from it. But imagine if somebody had the gall and the earnestness and the talent and the vigor. And I would say talent because, like, I would agree with you that some 
those shots are well composited. A lot of the shots where, you know, Jean is, is in the bathtub, just like washing herself. Like they look good. They're five minute long shots, but like the light, like well, the I fact would... that like the fact that like her skin tone matches like the paint and everything on the higher up above the tile. That's good look. Like it's, well, it's I a would... good mix of art direction and and and, and shot composition. And I would argue that like the scene, the shot where like it's really early in the film, like after the first John leaves and she goes into the bedroom and there's that towel there laying on the bed. The way that that shot is composed makes that towel look like like snakeskin or like some kind of sloughed off like you know encasement or something like that you know oh, what i mean yeah. it's, it's, and i'd agree it's... and for the first like 45 minutes of this film i was entranced and then it kept going and then it did it again it kept it just it kept doing it and then it after about an hour and 40 minutes it unraveled it by like her overcooking the potatoes and dropping the um washed spoon and then it kind of continued on with like slowly unraveling it and i sat there going man when i was younger when i was 25 like when i was like 22 23 and like really in love with film i thought this was clever i thought this was the big way to hold up the mirror and chatelle anchorman's 25 when she makes this i I was like you know i wouldn't have had the presence of mind to do the shot composition so i gotta give it some leeway and then this scene happens where she's talking to her neighbor about standing in the butcher line. Uh-huh. And the neighbor says, like, the neighbor speaks of all those things of, like, you know, I was thinking about making this, but then I realized I made it the last day. And, you know, I was going to make this, but I'm going to make this in two days. And eventually I just ended up ordering, you know, two kilos <clears throat> worth of, a veal and my really husband like veal, yeah. and they don't like veal. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Thank you for putting the entire thesis of your plot in this five minute conversation. Ackerman. What do you mean? Like, like in the sense of like this entire film is just about this woman who's stuck in this kind of mode of life, you know? Ah, see, that's the difference. The, yeah. And I, yeah, no, I, that's the way I see it. It's like, she's stuck in this and you, you get into this kind of like mode of every day's the same. This is how her day is. She's happy with it. Things start happening that kind of like shake it up and eventually it leads to that third day. And then that scene happens. Like that scene happens where she talks to her neighbor and her neighbor's like, here is the plot, by the way, if you didn't understand yeah. okay. what was happening for the past two hours. And I'm like, yeah, no fucking shit. I, I get it. Hand raising. I so I think one of the one of the things that I benefited from was I didn't see this as a movie about or a movie that necessarily just held a mirror up to like how people live their life. There's definitely a there's a subtle drama here and I think all that repetition and all like the collapse of the repetition is in service of that drama. So when she's cooks dinner for her son the first time and she's like, "Oh, how's the meat?" You know what I mean? And 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 I'm I'm really focused. I'm like I'm the lights. I got the lights going on, and I'm like entranced with the lights, and I'm like thinking about what you what you used to say about like Daniel Day Lewis and like the 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 rhythm at which he talked, and so there's these lights going on. And it's like one two three four, drrr, one two three four, drrr, like every single time without stopping. It's just doing that, and she's eating her soup, you know, just in the same rhythm. And it's just she never stops eating her soup. She's eating, 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 eating. There, no one's talking. She hasn't even told him to not. She's already told him to stop reading at dinner. Um, then she brings out the meat and she says, 
she asked if if she li- he liked it, and she says yes. And she says she added less water this week, and that's why it's better. And the thing that I kind of got out of that, and there's a couple more things after that too, like the Baudelaire poem, like the line when he reads, like the storm, uh, the storm creates such havoc. Few buds remain. I have reached the autumn of my day. Thoughts and um, I've reached the autumn of my thoughts and I have to use the spade and the rake to reclaim a bit of flooded land. There's a sense of gene. Um, and I don't want to steal from red dragon because they're not the same. <laughs> they're not the same movie, but there's the a Tom Harris, the Tom Harris, the Brett Ratner, the book or the Brett Ratner. It's in both things. So I can, you know, I'll just say red dragon. <laughs> well, uh, just the Call idea. It. second color grab of the episode, <laughs> the idea of becoming, she legitimately believes that she is, becoming like a higher I I think she believes she's becoming a higher version of herself and by by leaving sex as love behind by leaving emotion behind she's and, and, and focusing on this process she's almost been able to become like a perfectly realized version of something that she imagined in her head at some point in her life. So I think that scene where she's talking to the woman in the doorway, like this woman is having all these complaints that like Jean probably had a year ago, you know what I mean? Or like maybe 50 iterations of herself ago or something, you know what I mean? As she's kind of working through this process, she doesn't think like that anymore. She just does it. And I think that's evidence in the fact that like when she gets this baby the first time, she, again, she puts it on the dining room table. She leaves it in the car- car- carrier and she just goes into the kitchen and breads some veal cut- and breads veal cutlets. Like it's it's all part of the process. And I think the really interesting part of when it all falls apart is that it doesn't take it doesn't take much. She's just early. She's early to she's too early to these stores and it just kind of throws her off like the whole thing. Um and that subtlety, that those little things I just found like amazing. And I think it's I think those things are why this is a movie and not a play and why like something like Ordet is a is probably work better as a play than it does for me as a movie because Ordet oh. doesn't have there's nothing in Ordet to show this is doing this is is not telling you anything it's or it's just showing you everything and it's really it's I I found it so weirdly compelling I mean there's obviously a reason why it's makes movie makes me angry and the reason that makes me angry is i see a lot of potential and you know me like when there's potential and i feel like it missed the mark it makes me mad and and there's these moments of like breath and depth like when she's talking to her son and that tiny like narrative between her and her son like even though it's not doing anything or not moving anywhere it's it's there and like that building moment of like her like running around trying to find the button like there's stuff there and there's like a lot of stuff like in her making dinner, no matter how slow it is. But then like Ackerman throws in these just like real fucking deep pauses. Like, like when she's making she co- like the second making like coffee. She, it's, it's, it's like a balloon that's expanding too much and it's reaching its britches and it's like so tense and, and, and terse. It's going to pop. And, she does these moments and like there's so, there's like this like weird sort of I don't want to say it's a fluff basically and it it cuts down these moments where I think like there's like a lot of understated like brilliance in terms of like letting things breathe and letting like your audience kind of like come into those moments but then when she adds that in it becomes 
it, it's it's as though she's filled her creative cup to the brim and then put a little extra in there and it just creates makes everything break apart see and here's what i like, was it just it, yeah. it just it just it, it ruins it it so, makes me mad and i would say that like so the second coffee scene i thought at first was like i was like this is a tough this is this is a tough scene but then i considered the totality of what that scene like where that scene came from so she was just pouring like she makes this pot of coffee every day and she pours it in a thermos and then she just drinks it throughout the day, it seems like. And so she's having a really shitty fucking day. And she goes... There's too much sugar in it, by the way. That's a yeah. lot of fucking sugar in she, that coffee. She sits down and she goes to have a coffee and it's just bad. And she puts milk in it and she puts sugar in it and she tries it again. And she tries it in a different... And it's just bad. And so she makes new coffee. That... And it's forever. I mean, she waits for that coffee to like sift through that filter forever. But... I got out of that that she is literally trying to will this coffee to be perfect. She is, through force of will, trying to say, please, day, be right again. And then she she goes to get coffee and the, and the, the table is, and her table is full. And then, like, she gets the baby again and she doesn't just leave the baby to go make dinner. She, like, actually, like plays with the baby there's like there's almost like a moral component to that as well where she's trying to be like if i do the right thing this time like i can get my day back on track um i got that too but it's just like it's like to that point i had narratively understood that she was like to the brink and it was it was more well so that's what and the thing i kept coming back to the the scene i come back to for this mm -hmm. um and, and we're talking about people doing I don't know, coming, coming, finding something and doing it better. I, I look at the pie scene in Ghost Story hmm. and compare it to this of, of like a, you know, a five, six minute long shot of um, absolute emotional anguish. And that's what's there and needs to be there to kind of like get you through the rest of like the next like 25 minutes of the film. But the totality of. And for me, it's just like, it's like she gets me there, but then she keeps like, she keeps like going like, hey, just in case you're not there, here's this and this oh, and see, this. And that's the thing. I would take her peeling potatoes over Rooney Mara eating pie like any day of the week. And that's just because, like, like she's murdering those potatoes. Well, it's it's once again, it's, it's this is like structurally the things we we'll always, we'll always disagree with on film is I believe in concise filmmaking. You, you there? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay, you're, you froze. You're frozen on my concise, end. Too. I believe in concise, tight filmmaking. You do what you have to do and you move the fuck on. And this movie's not interested in that. See, this but I, it's weird because... interested I, in I'm, more of like fully establishing its, its voice. I'm going to be really... This is going to sound weird. But I'm even going to kind of disagree with that. Like, I'm not sure how... And this is going to sound really stupid and I have to think about it. I'm not actually not 100% sure how this movie gets to two hours. Because I think if it gets to... If, if, I, don't, I don't... You can't get to two hours. No, no, but I think I'm, if, I'm if, if you cut an hour out of it, I'm not sure what that does to the movie. I think part of the movie's power you, is this... You get this to 240. I don't... I mean, I suppose you could. I think part of the... But, see, that's the thing. So neither of us really love The Irishman. And I think part of the problem with The Irishman is that it had this aimless <laughs> quality... <laughs> Yeah, not we don't really love the Irishman is is the statement of the year. Yeah, so, <laughs> so the Irishman as it is a flaming pile of shit. Oh, that's garbage. That's what you mean? 
But the Irishman has this, <laughs> the Irishman has this aimless quality to it, where it seems like Martin Scorsese has literally no control over anything that's happening, and everything oh, and that this... flies out of everything that flies out of Al Pacino's mouth is apparently like fucking gold, and we gotta leave it in, even if it comes after two incredibly long, awkward Robert De Niro pauses. And so this movie ends up being three and a half hours long. I think I this, mean, the, I mean, the control the over Irishman, this... the Irishman is literally Al Pacino coming. Like three and a half hours. But like when I mean I'm I would go to it's weird to for me to have because I loved an elephant sitting still. And this reminds me so much of an elephant sitting still. And maybe I'm just getting there as a film watcher, where I'm like just kind of sick to death of of movies and I want them to do I want them to give me something like a little different. It was the reason why I thought High Life was so amazing. Um it was the reason that I thought why like I think Little Women, for all of its commercial purposes, I think really worked because emotionally it's like the most up- – is- it's, it's, it's like so brazenly upfront with like its emotions that it's, it's just striking. It's just mesmerizing. This is, this is an interesting argument to have. So I'll, most people I talk to, to not bring up this movie again, about Portrait of a Lady on Fire mm-hmm. don't like Portrait of a Lady on Fire because they don't believe the romance. They believe it's too tight and too quick. They believe it doesn't breathe enough. They believe we're just meant to buy into the relationship. Like buy into the the veracity of the relationship without any sort of earning it. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, that's what a movie does. You fucking just, you buy into it. If the movie earns everything else, like you give it some room to do that as long as it's earnest in other ways. I don't think it's a fair criticism of that movie, for one. Uh, I just wonder if that's a thing, though, where people demand like this weird, I don't know, not weird, I, don't, I say weird from my point of view, but people want this breadth of, of things to be and of, of thoughts and emotions and ideas to be expressed. And like, that's what, um, you know, Ackerman's doing here. Well, so here, I mean, with Dumont, I think that, like, I think that it's, it's more. I think the point. I, mean, I, I, I would. I would say it's an unfair criticism of Portugal on Fire. That movie's perfect. But I think. Oh, I don't think it's perfect. But I think it's better than that. And I it's, think that people per- are. It's perfect. I think people now want everything correct. I think they want to be able. So when you talked about how, um, uh, Celine Siama really wanted there to be consent in the first kiss scene, okay, and how we both kind of found that a little clunky. I definitely found it clunkier than you found it because you just said the movie's perfect and I disagree. Although I think it's a very I just, good I, accept, I accepted it. I accepted right, right, like exactly. the, Fine. the pretense of it. Um, I think she was concerned. She was obviously concerned about that because a broad swath of the people that are going to watch this movie at the first sign of some kind of problem would say like, nope, canceled. You know what I mean? Like she didn't get consent. She didn't ask. She is, you know, it's blah, 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 blah. And which is not to say that those people are wrong. There would have been an AV, there would have been an AV article yeah, about it. Which yeah. is not to say that Fair those thing. people are wrong about certain movies, but it's just not true about Portrait of a Lady on Fire. So you don't necessarily need that stuff. Again, I, my problems with Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I don't even really necessarily think that they're problems. I just think there's some unexplored, there, there's some unexplored meaning. Well, that's the, embedded into it that I don't think Celine Siama goes far enough. And that doesn't mean that I want two question, more hours worth of scenes. I just yeah, want some specific is, like, things. Like the breadth of things. And like, I like 
I would be willing to forgive narrative intent. Like narratively, you want to leave me here, so I'm gonna cut a lot of this. But you know where I'm trying to get you to. Whereas like Jeanne Delmont like has a, this like weird sort of insecurity about that, and just keeps like going and just keeps leading you there and and by that point i just i tune out because i'm like i'm there i know what you're trying to get i know where you're trying to get me and i understand you're doing it in a in a way that that looks great that that has like a, a really good like it's it has a good pace it has a at, in moments it has a good pacing like there's moments where i don't i think the coffee making scenes and some of the dinner making scenes have do lose that pacing but anytime she's talking with her son or where she's sitting by herself just like having a moment to reflect. I think the lighting, the camera composition and everything about that tonality and, and the beats of that work. And those moments work for me, but there's like these moments where I'm sitting there going like, I fucking get what you're doing. And I've all, I can get that from these other moments that better represent the tone and like that better represent kind of the tone and the image you've created, like they're artistically uh, right. divergent, yes. are are artistically kind of um, dis dissonant from from the rest of the movie, and they're just kind of gross. They're See, kind but, of like gross, like integer. But here's what I would, and here's what I would say to that is that I think, and this goes back to what we talked about with Ordet, um, and is is the question of theme, and I think this movie doesn't this movie extracts the idea of theme out of it and in so doing becomes something else. And that's where it becomes more like a performance art piece oh, it's, than it's like, different. A, it's different, than like yeah. a film. You know what I mean? Because it takes, it, it takes that necessary step where it understands that, you know, the theme, but that's not what Chantal Ackerman's trying to do. You know and what I mean? I She's guess, like trying guess, to do guess, something else to where all of these like things, every, all of these stupid little, and that's where like, I guess I, I think it was in the second sound thing. They called it like a feminist, like the first like neo-feminist film or something like that. I don't know what that means. I have no idea what that means, but I think the one science of the, sound list that has two women on their list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the things that it means though, is that in a world, in, in a world at a time that puts a certain value or per, gives women a certain permission um, to do X, Y, and Z, her life consists of the following things. You know what I mean? Which is not to say that you don't understand that. Obviously, we all understand that. I think what Chantal Ackerman is doing, though, is like be literally beating you over the face with it. L literally stabbing you in the neck with it. You know what I mean? Saying like, this is what this woman's life is. All of these things matter. One cup of coffee is not the same as the next cup of coffee. She's trying to be the perfect version of herself. And that comes with consequences, literally for mustachioed men with balding patches that just have sex by just lying on top of um, Gene. But like, well, I guess for I guess everybody, I guess that's the big the big elephant in the room we haven't talked about is a lot of people want to talk about that ending, like when she has possibly the orgasm. Is that does that mean anything? I don't know. I don't think it, it matters. 
Like I took from that, it doesn't matter. Well, I think it's. I think it. It's. Uh, a, it, I, I took from that. It's just another disruption from the norm, and that's what sets her over the edge. I think so too. But it's probably the ultimate deception from the norm. So I think one of. The, I think if you take it from a Finnegan's, if you take a Finnegan's Wake perspective from it, where the end, the beginning links with the ending, and it kind of becomes the same movie again. That's definitely not, not a James what, Joyce guy. Yeah, we talked. That's about definitely before. not what's happening here. But like, if you look at the beginning of the movie, so she has she she has sex. She puts the money in like that, that like soup tureen that she keeps on the table, and then she goes and takes a bath. You know what I mean? So we understand from the very first moment that she's a prostitute, but then when she's naked in the bath, um, the amount of time that she spends like cleaning herself and not like her her private parts or her breasts or anything like that, like her neck and her shoulders and her like is back and stuff like that, is a is a long it's a long amount of time. Yeah. But it's like it removes the idea that. Her body is like for sex. You know what I mean? It's not like a. It's not sexy. It's not sexual. Her body is. It's medicinal. It becomes right. It becomes, her her it body becomes, becomes something medical. that needs to be maintained. Almost. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like a like a, a a machine or something like that to go from. And then so she's has she has sex, which is which is which is like like all the all of the sex in the movies has a mechanical aspect to it. I mean, we never see the sex until that final scene. Right. But then. Right after that, like you mentioned before, she cleans her tub. So it's almost becoming, it's going, it's like a With Ajax. With Ajax. It's like a step down thing where she's like removing the microbial evidence of the fact that like she was the person that she was for like however long she was that person. Six out of seven specialists recommend Ajax, by the way. CDC specialists? Sponsor a pivotal film. (laughs) Ajax, we're open for business. (laughs) <laughs> don't eat us unless the president tells you to and then then snort it for all we care i mean you I can mean, freebase it if, if the president tells you to freebase the ajax but if ajax sponsored a pivotal film that'd be a good that'd be a good take for us i don't think they're going to sponsor us after this <laughs> i'm very pro ajax i'm more that i'm want to get more ajax i'm more of a borax guy myself so I'm, I'm a comic guy to be fair okay um but i think i think all of those things working in tandem help create this weird not weird but this sense that there's synergistic sort of yeah that there's more here than just like the 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 uh, obvious explanation for it which is, is like a day in the life or 3 days in the life or whatever oh no for sure which like if it had been or the idea or to, to, I don't mean to interrupt or the idea that it's a movie or that yeah. idea that it's a traditional film and if it like, like if it had been like obviously this if it had been either too far on the art film side or too far on the film side it probably it, if it had been too far on the art film side it would have never been noticed if it had been too far on the film side I'm sure it would have been highly acclaimed but not as highly acclaimed mm-hmm. it exists in that weird middle ground and I, I guess like I said my problem with it is like it's it, it's it's an incomplete narrative experience for me like. If this is played, like you said, it, it's an art piece. Like if this is played on the wall of the MoMA, like I'm intrigued by it because I'm intrigued by like what it's doing. But to, I, I guess this is, I, I this is where I have to admit that like some of my negative feelings for this come from where it sits on the list. Like, mm. on there you on go, list. absolutely. It's, it's 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 just it doesn't belong there. But I mean, it's not, I, it's, I, it's I, different. I, it's different than a film. It's not. Obviously, I just narratively. Right. It's not narratively. I don't want to say tight enough, but it's it's got. 
because narrative tightness is just a personal preference thing, but it's got enough to me holes in it that like we talked about Thordet that kind of make it an issue. Like so it's, and, it's got this, it's, it's got too much fat. And that's, I think the point of this like overall conversation is that we're, we're being, and again, we're not taking a political stand here. Okay. This is not like us saying like the culture needs to burn or anything like that. I think we are. Uh, I think we well, are. I'm gonna as, be honest. If if they if they did the Souza film or was it Souza? Oh, Dinesh D'Souza. If they pop up on the on the science sound list, I will take a political stand. But like, so let's look at this. I mean, I'm just I'm looking at this. Hillary's America. <laughs> no way. Or or even to conversely for our Republican fans, if becoming shows up on this li- on like the next sight and sound list or American Factory. You know, there's no reason to even talk about it anymore. We're done. We're done. I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't seen Becoming, but, but like, I doubt what do you, I'm just saying, like, be, of oh, course, yeah. Michelle Obama's movie. Answer, what? When was the last time you saw Eight and a Half? Uh, like four months ago. Are you an Eight and a Half guy? Is no, I eight, hate and eight and a, half. Is Eight and a Half the tenth best movie ever made? No, I hate Eight and a Half. I don't I like it either. It. I actually don't really even like any Fellini movies. I like La Strada. A little bit. I like. I think it's Strauss fan. You know, I like. I mean, I, these, I like some stuff. I like parts of Eight and a Half. I like. I'm gonna be honest. Of these top ten movies, I love three of them, and I'm indifferent to all the rest of them. What are the three? Passion of Joan of Arc. Oh no! I'm looking at the director's poll. Sorry. Okay. Uh, okay. I love. What, Tokyo Story, Rules of the Game, I love Passion three of, of them. I love, Yeah, well, no, actually, once again, I love three of them, yeah. I also haven't seen a couple. I haven't seen Sunrise. I haven't seen Sunrise. Maybe we should try to do that next week. It's hard to find, but... um, Is it? I, yeah, I, love, it I love Tokyo Story, I love Rules of the Game, and I love Passion. Top 10 from the director's poll, though, I do love Tokyo Story, uh, Mirror, and Bicycle Thieves. Right, and I love. I really fucking hate Eleven from Directors' Poll, which is. Uh, it is. Is it even on the critics' poll? I don't know. Breathless. Breathless just sucks. Oh yeah, Breathless is is on the critics' poll. Breathless is a. Breathless Breathless is is thirteen on the on the poll. Breathless sucks, people. But this, like, so, watch, but, watch Breathless again. But listen, and then if you like it, shoot yourself in the head. But this is what I'm saying. Don't I, do that, by the way. I'm making a joke. This if is you what, like Breathless. Just never talk again about. And watch what, another Godard film. What I'm saying. Watch Contempt. Is that Mikel, Yeah. Is that people? Mikado died this year. People have been pitching that these. Like, p- people have been pitching these things at us for how many years? Like these are the movies that you're supposed to like. And you know what? I would rather watch Stalker than like. I love Gene Dealman. I love it. I think Stalker's a better movie than Gene Dielman is. I think yeah. I just think it is. I I think Andre Rublev's a better and I, I think it's ranked higher. But I think there's there's films that we've been told for 50, 60, 70 years like this is the best movie ever. This is blah Although, blah blah. I've to done To be fair, two Ozu films in the top 20 right. make me happy. But that's the thing. Oh, like, I'm Tokyo fi- Story and Late Spring being in the top 20. I'm are, fine are with Ozu, but I've been having this conversation with a lot of people in like my MFA program also who are just like, well, this book's great. And I was like, but why is it great? Like, I don't understand why it's great because I've read that book and it sucks. Like, so why? Well, it's a classic. That doesn't mean anything to me. You know what I mean? I'm done with the, uh, it's, it's, this, it's a classic Is this thing. a great Gatsby cop- conversation I've always had with people? No, no. I mean, we could have it again if you want. Well, great Gatsby. 
I don't like that. I, mean, I just don't like it. I just think it's I think it's boring. If I'm going to have to read an F. Scott Fitzgerald book, I'd rather read a book where it seems like at the end of the book F. Scott Fitzgerald might kill himself. Like that seems like higher stakes than whatever's happening to the idiots that are in Gatsby. Well, the thing that always bugs me too is like like it's also like a lot of times that people go like they'll mention films from great directors and they'll put like I don't know the biggest thing I always use is Seventh Seal for Bergman when it should be Virgin Spring. Yeah. Or like, I, don't know, I still have a lot of Bergman I have to, I have to see. So like maybe Persona or whatnot, because Persona is pretty highly regarded, but like Virgin Spring blows like Seventh Seal away in like every possible way. Well, So that's the thing. So I really don't like, and I don't know about you. I really don't like watching movies from the perspective that like this in 19 whatever this was really great and so in 2020 you should still think it's great the i think the only reason that like the beatles keep holding up as like this totem of musical excellence is that like in 19 you can't bring up the, you can't bring up the beatles yet because we'll get into that in your episode <laughs> but i'm saying like in 1965 everyone thought they were great and if you listen to sergeant peppers now you're just like wow that's really great like yeah, no true. one has no one has usurped the Beatles in being great. They just haven't. So that's why it's still great. Or like Miles Davis or John Coltrane or like you know a whole Limp bunch of other people. Or, or blah, like, blah, 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 or like blah, blah. in the past, like Limp Bizkit, Corn, and Slipknot. Cool. They just have him atop. I was gonna say, um, I was gonna say uh, System of a Down, but you we get the picture, yeah. System of Down's actually a pretty well critically received band. Yeah, they're wrong. Joke doesn't work as much. They're totally it wrong. It doesn't. But... It doesn't work as much. You're also talking to a System of Down fan. You like System of a Down? I do. Oh, they're so like silly and gimmicky. You're talking to a wrestling fan, so. Did you listen to the Undertaker interview on on the Ringer? No, I didn't. But I, I did hear he hates pineapple. I did. I did hear him finally. Like t- talking about his fear of cucumbers, which is great. <laughs> I, I didn't um, but I don't know. I, 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 Jean Delman, I, I hate it. I really hate it. I respect it, but I hate it. I, I feel as though I, I, I want to watch more of a filmography where she didn't feel the need to do 200 minutes of a movie. Yeah. I feel like she, I feel like, that movie was still like her establishing herself and she had to put a voice in and like the rest of her, if you look at the rest of her filmography, it's like 130 or so minutes. Mm-hmm. I feel like that maybe is a much more concise vision. See, it's just one of these things. I think it's like a, it's a, it's like a, it's like a taste thing. And not to say that you have bad taste. It's just like we have, I think you and me have different tastes. Like the overly, exp- <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like ruined by overly experimental work. Like I would, that's like my, it's my goal every day is to like pick up a book. That's like super experimental, but that I get it so hard that it like ruins my life. Oh, and I, and I love exploitation. I, I love just gimmicky emotional exploitation. Mm-hmm. I have like, like I like gimmick. Like, yeah. like the, the podcast is about that. Like we, as we get into our top twenties, like things, the movies that will pop up on my list. My number 25, I'm still excited to get to. Um, I respond well to film gimmicks and you respond more to experimentation. Well, the, and there's, I, a reason, there's a reason like Don DeLillo means something to you and Don DeLillo means nothing to me. Well, that's because I, I, and one of the things about experimentation that I like is when you're, they're able to have real live feelings 
inside like something that I it was totally unexpected. You know what I mean? And I think Gene Gilman kind of it covers a lot of it covers a lot of the art bases that I want, which is like be weirdly super accessible, but also like pushing you away like every 15 minutes as it changes scene for another like 15 minute scene. And then, but to have those scenes be just packed with stuff that doesn't have, has an intellectual component, but is supportive of the emotional like tone of the movie or the emotional like core of the movie. And I think this movie does that times a million. I will say this. I'm bummed out. She killed herself because I think Netflix would have, and it, she killed herself in what, 2015? Who? Uh, Chattel Ackerman. Oh, did she? I didn't even Yeah, yeah she, she committed suicide like in, like right after her mom died. Okay. It, it, it's a bummer because she's the type of director I could see like Netflix throwing her like $3 million and be like, do whatever. I'm actually very surprised this movie hasn't got remade. To be honest with you. Really? Really? Yeah, because when I was watching it, I was like, I would, I could see a modern actress like eating this up. And then a director making it two hours long. You know what I mean? Not making it another three and a half hour movie. But just like taking the basic premise of the movie and making a, a digestible who would, Jessica who would Chastain type like quiet scenery take, chewing. Take it though. Like I, I couldn't see like Tamara Jenkins being like, yeah, I'll take this. I should be like, no, fuck you. I'm not no. going to redo this. To to, uh, this is sounds like something that like, D. Reese would ruin, or something. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! And J- is finding a way for Jason Clark to be the son. Um, I don't know how that would work, but she she'd figure it out. Um, no, she get a no. Poor D. Reese. I don't know. I uh, it's you know what she get no. That would be the son, Joel Kinnaman. Oh yeah. No, Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> oh God! It's just the cast of Triple X. Um, or no, Triple, Triple Frontier. X? Triple Frontier. Oh, I was like, what? No, but it's 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 a like you. I when I saw this, I was like, oh, I wonder if she's still alive. I looked it up and I found out she committed suicide. Well, that's what, and I, it's kind of, it's just like it's like because I knew she was young when she made this, and it's like if she had still been alive, I could imagine like some streaming service throwing her. Yeah. Well, like, cause, like, if, if Agnes Varda had been five years younger, like, you know, you know, Claire Denise is getting thrown money soon to make something. I think, I think, um, you know, she's gonna get offered it. She'll probably turn it down. Well, I mean, but you if, know, she's gonna get offered it. If Tenet, if Tenet and the Batman do well, Stars at Noon is gonna be like a big movie. Is that her next? Is her next one? Yeah, it's the Dennis Johnson with Robert Pattinson and Margaret Qualley for some reason. Um, yeah. So I don't know. All right. So what do you want to do next week? You want to go back to the list or do you want to do another a, science sound? I'm good with anything. Uh, what is next? So nothing's releasing this week. Well, besides uh, Lovebirds. Lovebirds. Do we do Lovebirds on a list of movie? Could do that. All right. Let's go back to the list. What are we, 28? We'll be at 28. All right. All right. What is, what is my, what is your, I think done, but two episodes of, uh, yeah. Okay. That's your 28. And what's my 28 again? Oh, that's a good episode. That, that's a, that's a shorter episode. Yeah. Well, it's maybe that too, it'll be, well, it's not too heavy. No, we'll keep it like under two hours. Cause after that, we have a few weeks, like 
in June, we start getting a, a surplus of films coming out. We start so getting a movie a week, pretty much. We get we get Shirley June fifth. Um, the Five Bloods, and then June twelfth is just insane. And King of Staten Island, yeah. And uh, Artemis Fowl. Don't forget about Artemis Fowl. So we'll have to split those up. Unless you want to well, do all three of them in a, in one episode. We have to dedicate an entire episode to Artemis Fowl. I think we do. I think you th- you think we do. I agree. I think uh, we do as well. I, said, I don't think we do. I don't think there are any Kenneth Brenner movies that we need to spend a whole episode on. <laughs> I, we could almost pull a whole episode out of the four hour Hamlet. Well, yeah, but that's, that would be more of a Beyond Hamlet that. thing than it would yeah, be. Yeah, not, Kenneth not so much. Yeah. All right, so let's do that. Yeah, we will be back to the list, and then after that, we'll go. We'll we'll do a week of sight and sound and then i say we do a we'll do a week on week off for a while uh yeah that sounds good all right all right if you want to talk about week on week off you could do so at film pivotal a twitter account i use quite often i have no excuse not to use that twitter account by the way like i'm actually looking at news now how has it happened and I'm like, well, that's big news. But I've had the same experience where I'm just, just like, I just leave it. I saw the Greyhound news and I was like, I should tweet that. And I was like, I got to open up a new window. I'm not going to do that. stupid. I don't want to be like, like I would want my Twitter. I would want our Twitter account to just be our obnoxious reactions to things. Uh-huh. And oftentimes I just don't have enough obnoxious reactions to things until we film our podcast. But I also don't have enough re- obnoxious I wish we reactions had, like, to things. Th- I also I just wish- don't care. Uh, I, I wish we had. A, I wish we had another person. Like when I said something obnoxious to you through like a message, who was like, "You could tweet that," and they just did it for me. Yeah, that'd be good. We should hire an assistant. We should see what Chris is doing. I. I mean, I saw. I saw JP today walking. Oh yeah, how'd that go? I did. I mean, I was driving a car. Oh. So I just saw him walking. I was like, "That's JP." Did you run him down? Like, yeah. JP, I, hello. I ran him over. Um, yeah, or you can send an email to pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com if you're JP and you're going to ask us not to run you over with our cars. Uh, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and you can see a list of the movies on our pivotal film list. Uh, or how to subscribe. Or... Could you imagine if we wrote essays for that? That'd be fun. Yeah, I've got like four essays started and then I think about them and just like, nah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Every time I start writing an essay, I'm like, oh, I have to work on my script. Every time I start writing an essay, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I have to write something for school. Actually, anytime I do anything, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I should be doing school stuff instead. I just I have my crippling cowboy anxiety millennial aspect going on. That's a wrestling reference for our wrestling fans. Uh, um, and I just I just don't. Yeah. I just I just end up going back to the script I've been talking about for eight months. Well, I've been super avoiding. Um, I've been reading uh, like a book of letters from Paul Oster and this uh, Jam Coetzee. And I'm how not just how much the. F- how much has Paul Astor wrote? It he's feels written. like every week you're mentioning a new thing Paul Astor's written. Well, I love Paul Astor, but here's the thing with Paul Astor is that like some of the things that he writes are just like writing. Like it's not necessarily good. So these letters aren't really good or interesting. They're actually fairly backwards, like societally. They talk a lot about men in like a very <clears throat> 1960s like mode, but they're written in like the year 2010 or something like that. But I don't want to look at my phone. So I'm just reading easy stuff so I can avoid having to think about like all the horrible things that are happening in the country. I keep wanting to buy new books. 
and it, like the delivery time is like two weeks out, and I just go like, that's too long. Barnes and Noble's at curbside pickup. I can order books and get them tomorrow. Yeah, you just order them, and you, if they have them in the store, you just go pick them up. They leave them on like a little. You call when you get there, and they leave them on like a little coat rack outside the thing, and you just walk up and get it. I quasi feel bad about doing that, but I might do that. I because I, I want to read Devil all the time, and I want to read Paint a Bird. Um, you shouldn't feel bad because they're going to be there anyway. They want you to do it, so, and you don't have to interact with them. So it's not like one of those things that like you're talking to somebody. You know what I mean? Well, it's Memorial Day weekend, so I might do that. I might. There you go. Get devil all the time and paint the bird. Uh, you folks, you should read books if you want. You should drink some beers. You should uh, continue to stay safe. I guess do whatever you should right wear for you a your family. Fucking mask. Which is wearing a mask. Um, you should also watch a movie, drink a beer, and uh, we will talk to you next week.